This is the Scaremaster, Scary Perry Caravello, also known as the King of Fright Night Comedy. I just want to say hi to that fat dude, Chris Durham, and the rest of the gang at Phantom Galaxy Podcast. Oh, oh, oh! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy. We're your hosts here with Nathan Bartlebaugh, Chris Durham, and Seth Dombach. And uh, it's been a little bit since our last podcast, but we've uh, we kind of took the month of November to kind of get some ducks in a row. We have uh, I'll make an announcement in a moment here. We do have a new podcast that's joining Phantom Galaxy that will be starting shortly. Uh, so we've been kind of pulling that together, and we've been sort of trying to plan out. Uh, direction for Phantom Galaxy. Uh, several episodes we had done, Stephen King episodes and things like that. They've um, been very horror-heavy lately, but I could try to balance that out a little bit more, have more content regarding science fiction and fantasy. We're going to try to start doing also like a weekly review, a much shorter episode that will just have smaller reviews of things that are coming out, book reviews and things like that. And we recently started a YouTube page. I'll have that in the show notes there's only uh, we haven't done too much with it right now seth i think you have a couple reviews up over there of uh creep 2 and i think uh two of the stephen king movies that came to netflix recently yes definitely so gonna try and start utilizing that more so you can catch us over there phantom galaxy we have a lot of stuff lined up for december we're gonna have our uh christmas episode coming up we did a christmas episode last year uh, that was a lot of fun. Where I, I hope Chris that we left some some Christmas themed horror movies to talk about. Oh, there's but there's a couple new ones too um, that I'm I'm looking to check out, and I think we found a couple uh, deep cuts <laughs> to discuss. So looking forward to that. We will have our top tens. We're going to do top ten for horror, and we're going to do a top ten for uh, science fiction and fantasy. Kind of combine the two of those. And we did that last. I think we did the horror one last year. I don't think we got around to the other one. So we're going to do all that. We have an episode coming up soon for Black Mirror and a couple of other other things. We also have a found footage horror movies episode. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming to you in December. We're uh, get back on social media, get everything fired up, start promoting the website. And you can check us out over at iTunes. You can also send us uh, email over at phantomcast at gmail.com. And with we have a short message right before we get started here there's a new podcast coming very shortly at the time you're hearing this it'll will be just about to drop the first episode uh seth and i have branched out we're doing a podcast called casting the bones and it'll also feature from time to time many of the fan galaxy regulars it's a podcast it's Honestly, it's probably the podcast that I wanted to initially start back before Phantom of the Galaxy, but back before Pop Culture Ninja. It's just that it was a little easier to dive right into things like a film and things like that. But Casting the Bones is going to be specifically aimed at uh, folklore, horror fiction, and the paranormal. That's not to say really that I believe in the paranormal, but I think it's a pretty fascinating uh, concept and a fun thing to discuss. And particularly from the perspective of storytelling and horror and how it's rooted in our society uh, from all different kinds of angles and aspects. So we're hoping to have a lot of interviews with people to pull in a lot of stories. We're going to have some fiction, uh, some classic fiction brought to you. We're going to have that narrated. We're also going to bring some original fiction. So anyone who, uh, if you're interested in sharing your stories too, maybe personal stories or things that have happened to you, uh, or you've got a lead for us, somebody you want us to talk to or have on the show, you can send all that to, to phantomcasts at gmail.com. I'm going to put something up on Facebook very soon, just kind of soliciting. We do want to hear your stories and your ideas, and we are going to review them, and we may feature them on the show as well. So there's more information about that coming soon. Uh, it's definitely a different vein. We will keep most of the book reviews and things like that, and, and movie reviews centered on Phantom Galaxy, but uh, we are looking forward to kind of branching out uh, more directly so that someone who's really into horror and into horror fiction can enjoy that. So stay tuned for that. But tonight we have the episode, uh, it's also the start kind of a, of a new series for Phantom Galaxy, where uh, a cult movie series where we've been, been talking for a while about diving into one or two cult movies in an episode, almost like a double feature idea, drive-in sort of <laughs> idea, and, and having... Uh, 
those of us kind of pick our favorite cult movies and discuss them. And, and we have, I think there's all those, there's movies that of course are designated cult movies that pop up and everybody knows them. Uh, they, they, you almost feel like no one's ever seen them, but almost everybody has seen them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about movies like that, but we also, at the same time, I think we're also trying to always pick the other side of the coin, <laughs> a movie that maybe has a following, but maybe it's not, maybe it's a little darker, maybe it's a little <laughs> more shadowy. So, uh, uh, the second part of this podcast, I'm probably not going to do a whole lot of talking because <laughs> we have one of Chris's probably all-time favorite. Uh, I don't even know if I want to use the word movie. I, maybe your all-time right. favorite events or thing or thing, yeah. a phenomena, maybe. Perhaps. So I'm not this even going to. This is gonna... the podcast I've been waiting to do since we started. So I'm excited. <laughs> right. So I'm going to just save that till after we <laughs> talked about the first one. I do feel these two movies go very much hand in hand. Absolutely. This would be a great double feature. But but first, so the first movie we're going to talk about, it's, I mean, there's probably 110 podcasts about this, is Tommy Wiseau's The Room, which, as you're probably aware, just got a big feature film, uh, <laughs> almost, uh, well, ad- it is almost an adaptation. Yeah. You say adaptation, that's an interesting way to say it. It's, almost, uh, it's probably more an adaptation than a biopic, if you really think about it, yeah. because yeah. in the movie... You're watching James Franco play Tommy Wiseau, and you see him and his friend kind of uh, pulling their their selves up by the bootstraps and making a movie, mm-hmm. quality be damned, <laughs> and just cluelessly diving right in and, and making the movie. And the way it's filmed, I mean, there's you don't learn a single thing in this no. movie. You won't gain any insight or depth into Tommy's process by which he does things you won't even find out what country he's from or how old he is no which uh so we'll back up a minute talk about the room but we also have a review of the disaster artist coming up chris and i did see it last week i think it opened up in a lot of theaters over the weekend it opens here in baltimore this week Mm -hmm. uh and that's why we held the review till now but before we do that we do want to talk about the room uh, Seth, I'm going to let you kind of set it up. I know you've seen it. I've got my own. I think everybody has their own history with it. If you've yeah. seen it, it's a it's very interesting. I am still to this day surprised it has gained the following it has. But I'll let you sort of set everything up for us. Yeah. So the room. This is one of those movies where it's really hard to really describe what the film is like until you've actually seen it yourself. Uh, just because it's so strange. The way that I've described it before is like. What if an alien came down, saw one movie, and then decided to make a movie about human beings? And that's kind of what the room feels like. Um, it's, it's one of those things, like, really, if you haven't seen it, it's pretty much the best way to go into it without knowing anything about it, which is how I kind of came upon it. Like, I'm a big fan of, like, cult movies and really bad films as well, too. And, you know, I'd heard a lot about it before I'd seen it. And because I'm not really a fan of, like, the stuff like Sharknado and things like that, that I think they, it's knowingly bad. I like stuff that where the intention is, you know, I'm going to make a great movie. And then you get something like the room, um, just to kind of give you a basic overview of it. You know, this, it's kind of, uh, starts as like a love triangle, uh, between Johnny and Mark and, uh, Johnny's, uh, girlfriend, Lisa, and just kind of the weird things that transpire from that. It's it's so non-linear in what kind of happens in this movie. Does it, it? It's really hard to follow or even describe. It really is one of those things you just have to see it to believe it. Things just kind of happen for no rhyme or reason at all. <laughs> exactly. It, it's like think of any everything that you have ever thought about what a movie is and completely throw that out the window because it's nothing like what's going to happen in the room. Every like literally every scene, everything in that movie goes against any choice that any sane person would make when they're making a movie between like the way that he filmed it the use of green screen building sets when they had actual like alleyways or rooftops that they could have used it it, there's so much in this movie that just boggles your mind and it kind of becomes like a mystery where you just want to figure out what the hell happened to make this movie? And then you learn a little bit about Tommy Wiseau, and, and things start to come into a, a clearer view after that. To me, this movie is nothing without Tommy, because right. I have a hard time watching the scenes where he's not involved. Like, while I'm watching mm-hmm. The Room, it's fascinating. when Anytime he's on the screen, because he has such weird facial expressions. Yeah, we should probably mention that. He is the star of the movie. Yeah, he, he, he wrote it and made it, but he's also Johnny. He's yeah, the main he's character. The he's on the screen 
or his butt is, for almost every single minute of this film. <laughs> and he does not look like a Johnny either. You can't not look away. Like You can't not look at it at the screen when he's on it. Like it's There's something drawing you to it because he's so bizarre, so, so different. The way he acts, like you say, it's as if an alien was like, I want to learn how to do human acting and make a human movie. It's almost kind of like that skewed perspective in acting. It's very bizarre. Like... Anything when he's not on the screen, it's almost hard for me to watch it. Right. Like, we primarily, most of the time, cover like genre stuff on this podcast. But I think yeah. I mentioned to you, watching The Disaster Artist feels like there could be a third act where Tommy just beams up in a ship <laughs> yes. at the end. And that may be the ending in real life. We really don't know how this is all going to pan out. But um, he'll bring his, his brethren down to make the room, too. I'm eagerly awaiting that day. <laughs> a couple things. It's funny because, like... The way Seth was just describing it, it's totally accurate, but at the same time, I was thinking, man, I kind of want to see the movie Seth's described. Because Mm -hmm. you're saying, like, it's insane (laughs) and it's crazy and these are not rational choices. There are movies I love that you could say that about because the choices are so crazy and so out there. But I think what's so weird about this movie is the actual events of the film are very mundane and would be totally Mm -hmm. bland and boring if it was made competently. Mm -hmm. There would be almost zero interest in this movie because it really amounts to... Guy's got a friend, guy cheats on guy's woman, Mm -hmm. and he gets depressed and suicidal. Yeah. And is there really anything more to the movie? No. 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 Like, that's it. Nothing really off the wall happens. It's just literally, like you said, because it's so mundane, because it's so blase, you're sitting there watching, you're thinking, when's the other shoe going to drop? And why is it made this way? Like, scenes don't (laughs) intersect with one another. And there's, you can't describe it away like, oh, it's a fever dream. There aren't genre elements to it that would make you maybe, you know, you could hide behind and say, oh, this is where he woke up in the Matrix. Like, (laughs) it's supposed to be a linear, dramatic film, and you would pick it up in a normal circumstance. When I first heard the movie was out, I just didn't know. Like, I hadn't realized it was this big cult thing. So, Mm -hmm. But I I knew it was developing a following. I thought it was developing a following because it it was becoming a popular, vaunted indie title. So I was like... Oh, The Room. Maybe it's going to be like a psychological thriller like Pie or something like that. And I literally didn't watch it till it ended up on... Like, remember when Netflix showed up in like 2006 or 2007? And it, or somewhere around there, 2007, 2008, and it got its first... It just introduced its streaming service, and the bones were pretty... There was a, mo- there was a horror movie on there called Low that I actually liked. There was a handful of other movies. Yeah, I like that too. But there weren't... There was very little. And then I found The Room... And I'm like, okay, I keep hearing about this. And I noticed that, remember back in the, I don't know, it might still be that way, but Netflix used to have it hooked up so you could see your friends, like what they liked and yeah, stuff like right. that. And people were giving this thing like half a star. <laughs> Is it really that bad? And I was expecting to turn on and see like a pretentious indie movie or something. And I'm like, the hell is this? <laughs> like, I literally thought it was like a practical joke or something. And I got literally to the first love scene, of which now I realize there are many. Yes. Uh, which is also crazy. Like, Tommy drops his drawers a lot in this yeah. movie. And there's a lot of nudity in it. Um, none of it is interesting or enticing no. in any way. But I was The like, least sexy sex-filled movie. You feel like seen. every yeah. time he hits a wall of ideas, he just says, let's put a sex scene in. And like, like, cue the cheesy <laughs> pop love music. Oh, like, yeah. But it it's like... That says if every instinct, every storytelling feeling that man has ever had since they first started <laughs> writing things on the side of cave walls is thrown out the window. It's so true. <laughs> and it is compounded by the fact that Tommy seems like a, he was a, a robot that's short-circuiting <laughs> like while the movie's going. I, yeah, it's, it's funny to me that it has such a huge cult following. Um, like I said, I'm a big fan of cult films. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I, I still think Troll 2 is a better bad movie than The Room. I think it's a little bit more interesting, but this is interesting in a different way, I would say, than Troll 2 is. I am of the opinion that I actually kind of hate Troll 2. I know that <laughs> I should like it, but I think it's just so lazy. I, I, I don't know. There's a problem with that. There's a real problem with that movie, but I, I think I would be more entertained watching that than The Room. If it weren't, again, for the fact of Tommy being yeah. such a bizarre presence in the film, everything he says, everything does, everything way, even the way he does it, is so weirdly compelling. It's it, I don't know what it is. Like that's exactly the reason I would watch the room. 
there were like none of the other elements entertained me as much, even though they're just as bad. It's just weird presence of Tommy that like keep me watch, kept me watching that thing. The, the Troll 2 thing, I did... Re- funny, the other night I actually watched the original Troll with my kids, <laughs> which actually is not a bad little like fantasy Troll, movie. Yeah. It's a kind of... So do I. It's actually yeah. almost adorable in some ways. I was watching, I was like, it's actually pretty much perfect. My daughter was like, can we watch Troll? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I watched and I was like, yeah, I think you're good. It's one of Phil Fondacaro's best performances. They loved it. Of course, they were like, Harry Potter! <laughs> because yeah. the main character is Harry, <laughs> Harry Potter Jr. and Harry Potter. But, uh... It's a it's a fun little movie, but Troll Two is a sack of crap. And even when I saw it as a kid, it was like there's something extra bad about this. Like yeah. there's a level yeah. of almost fever dream. Like when you feel when you get sick and you're watching something, mm-hmm. you get that feeling watching Troll Two in the room, even though you're not sick. You know that weird like di- distance, that distance feeling that like yeah. you get when you a movie. This not only was this not made for me. I don't think this was made for people. Like it was made in a vacuum. And I think Troll Two. And this movie remained in the vacuum where the idea of it entertaining people never entered into anybody's mind. It was all about the people making it. They were so much into that, I have a dream and I can achieve my dreams, that I never thought of their dreams really belonged out in the world. That's a very harsh thing as a critic to say, I guess. But uh, And I'm glad those movies are out there. But it's just, there's a distinct difference between those movies and other movies because they just don't give a crap. Yeah. <laughs> but they're so earnest at the same time. I tend to agree a little bit, Chris. Troll 2 is almost watchable, and it might be that way because of the genre elements. Like, just in terms of, like, what's going to happen next, and that girl really just pull, like, a uh, ear of corn out of her nylons. But, like, the things going on in that movie are so strange, and they, they like, they're strange because they're a horror movie. Troll 2 is like training wheels for the room. If you can get through Troll that, 2, yeah. <laughs> the room really is like, is this guy... Ha- it, there's a weird authenticity to the to Tommy Wiseau in the sense that like shut down in the movie when I won and I guess maybe speaks to what you're saying, uh, Seth, about like Sharknado. I kind of shut down when a movie is clearly doing something just to be bad. Like yeah, it wants to show right. me how bad it can be. I'm like, exactly. I don't really care to see that. There's an element to Tommy Wiseau where you're like, this guy's either the greatest example of performance art that there will ever be. Or he's 100% genuine. And there's something, even watching the movie, the dude is really trying his hardest. Like, he isn't, this isn't, he's not having us on. (laughs) This is the best he could do. He is putting his all, and whatever that amounts to, up on screen. (laughs) And that's a little fascinating. There's a, you get the passion comes across. It doesn't, doesn't make it good. No. But it makes it compelling to a degree. I turned it off the first time, I'll be honest. I The minute I saw his butt, and Chris is like, that was 20 minutes in. I was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> I missed three other love scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I literally did not return to it until after we saw The Disaster Artist. Because I'm just like, what more do I really need to, to glean from yeah. this experience? <laughs> that being said, I also watched it on probably my cell phone or something back at two or, or on a small laptop monitor by myself and was like, God, my wife walks in watching this crap. Um, and so I didn't finish it, but it does, it has to be able to call it following. And isn't that really all down to the audience element? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. Some people are just really enthusiastic about it. As we noticed when we saw the disaster artist. Yeah, and I think that's how these movies form, is like this idea of you get everybody together and you just want to laugh at something. Uh-huh. Not with it, at it. Yeah. Pretty much. And then you feel clever for noticing all these things, except that in a movie like The Room, there's just so much of it. Yeah. Like, there's not, there isn't any kind of good moment, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there during the disasters and here and we're like, oh, hi, Mark. And they're saying the lines before it even comes up. And I'm like, how did this movie inspire your passion? <laughs> so I don't, I don't think I get it. I don't get the room. But I don't know, maybe that's why people like it, because they don't get it. Could be, yeah. feel like you've caught a secret joke that no one else really understands. So speaking of that, how, how did you guys feel about the disaster artist especially because it's so strange having a, a real movie done on a a cult classic like this chris i honestly was kind of amazed <laughs> like because you think this is the story of the making of the room it's gonna kind of goof on tommy a lot there's not much more you can really do with that story which my initial thoughts going into like i'll be interested in seeing it i'm sure i'll laugh a bit 
But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it's just kind of going to be a goof on the people involved, and Tommy especially. But I was pleasantly surprised that it was actually its own movie. It did its own things. Um, and it really played everyone, I think, relatively honestly. Like, uh, Tommy was a real character with real feelings, and you kind of got that through the movie. They didn't really work hard to laugh at him so much as portray, this is just what he's doing, this is part of his personality, this is, he's really thinking he's portraying him, his heart and soul on screen. So I actually really, it was the same story, but yet a different story at the same time, its own thing. I, I, I thought it was fantastic. That's a good way to put it when you said it's its own story, but it's the same. It's the it's a different story at the same time because when I they announced it, I was like, this seems like a really weird, off the wall thing to do because usually you only make movies about the making of a movie when there's something that interesting to be gleaned from it. You know, like uh, yeah, or usually you're dealing with an artist who whose life is somewhat secretive. I guess you could say that here or. His me- their methods are such like a, a film about Hitchcock making the birds. Okay, I can see or making or the, Psycho. Yeah, the one about the documentary about the uh, making of uh, Island of Doctor Moreau. Right. Yeah, the Island of Doctor Moreau, where also everything's rain. such a a, a just Unique train wreck. Story, but yeah. then here are the Disaster Artist, which isn't a documentary. It's not fiction exactly, but it is a it has that biography sort of feel that like making of feel of a movie. Not unlike a movie like Ed Wood is probably, you know, that's a movie you and I kept kind of mentioning. At the same time, while it is about the making of The Room, it's in its own way, kind of fills the same, in an interesting way, it fills the same void that I think remakes of movies that people love are intended for. Or when sequels of movies people love. Like, when someone sits down and wants to make that, the first thing they say is, this movie has a big fan base. Mm -hmm. How do we make something that ignites those people and captures that fan base? And with a bad movie, or a movie that's a cult classic like this, where it's a cult classic not because of all the effort that went into it, but because lightning struck and something bizarre happened, you can't really remake that, you know? And a lot of times when we remake movies, we say, oh, let's give people... Whatever it is they want, again, you know, let's do a new Ghostbusters, let's do that. Everything that those movies try to do where they want to recapture that light thing in a bottle, Disaster Artist is almost like the remake of The Room or the sequel to The Room in the sense that except it's it actually succeeds, it seemed to, yeah. succeeds in satisfying fans who would go to The Room so they could quote the scenes and quote everything's happening. Now that I've seen The Room again... Most of the entire film of the room is in the disaster artist. <laughs> it, you know, they, mostly. They, yeah, they did a really good job. Most of, of the movie is in there. And in fact, there's even a scene kind of towards the end, I think, is the credits are rolling, where they are playing Franco scenes against the scenes in the movie and just replaying yeah. them so you could see how they, <laughs> they run next to each other. And yet you do see the character of Tommy, which is what's compelling about the room, kind of come to life and come forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not, they don't explain him. You don't no. learn anything more about him than you knew <laughs> when you watched the movie. Although they do a kind of subtle way of sort of hinting that the room does come from a personal place for him. Yeah. And his interaction with his uh, with his buddy, with his friend, Greg. who wrote Greg, who wrote the book that kind of generates where most of the material, I think, for the disaster artist comes from. You've got Greg and you've got Tommy. And then you've got everyone else who's just looking in with, like, dumbstruck wonder yeah, and is. awe. Seth Rogen's in the movie, and he's actually pretty good in, and he plays for the first time, really, the straight man to everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, to the point where he's just sitting there in disbelief. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, the paycheck cleared, so, yeah, well, let's roll. Uh, <laughs> and that's the other question, where does all of Tommy's money come from, which yes. is never really explained. And they allow all that to be what it is. But James Franco gives a really good, strong performance. It's a really fun movie to watch. It's almost as disposable as the room is, mm-hmm. but I don't. It wouldn't have been anything else. I think you really have to take it for what it is. Yeah. And if you take it for what it is, if it had tried to be anything else, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be satisfying. This is a movie that is it's it's satisfying in the same ways. It satisfies, I think, what people enjoyed about the room. But you also are sitting there watching a, kind of a weird experiment. Franco's known for doing weird mm-hmm. film experiments. I mean, he's even he went on uh, a soap opera for a while where he played some <laughs> crazy psycho obsessed with monkeys or something, which was, I assume, a, a nod to the fact he was in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I mean, Franco just <laughs> yeah. does 
weird things too. I mean, you know, uh, he did a Lifetime movie that was the sequel to Mother May I Sleep with Danger, except it was about lesbian vampires. I mean, <laughs> the in in the light of all of that stuff, I mean, he's done you know movies about beat poets and things like that, and just. In the line of that, the disaster artist makes a lot more sense. I suspect he probably feels a little bit uh, of a kindred spirit to a degree with Tommy Wiseau, maybe a little bit. I was bit. watching uh, a short interview they did afterwards with Jimmy Kimmel, and he was talking about he had not even seen The Room. He had actually heard about this book, and his book was fantastic, and he had to read it. So that's where he got his start from. And then, you know, of course, obviously he had to watch The Room from afterwards. But um, I just, yeah, I think it's like something that came to him. is like, this is such a unique strange project this would be perfect for me and he really nails tommy like all of his personality beats perfectly i think not nails him in the same way that other people in the room nail Tommy. Well, yeah. but <laughs> yes no you're absolutely right he captures like the essence of him in a very interesting way mm-hmm. and it's it's so effective it's so spot on that i think is what makes the movie work because that's where it feels like the sequel to the room because you don't want to see these characters as a story ever again. The only yeah. thing you want to see in the room is like, I want to know more about that guy. Yeah. And that's what this movie does, is it gives you the room again and just expands it and makes it uh, where you get to see behind the wall. And in that regard, it's really good. And again, I think you already emphasized it, they don't play fish in a barrel with no, him. No. They don't mock him in the least. It's a very gentle movie, actually. There's a lot of heart to it. There, there is. There, I was surprised. They also really keep it from ever going really edgy or raunchy or anything yeah. like that. They really keep it kind of toned down in a sense. thing I, I don't think we really talked about, like we talked about how good Franco is, but with his brother, that relationship's really like yeah. comes across like really well. like Very genuine. Yeah, and I think the movie wouldn't be as strong if he wasn't playing off of his brother. You know, not because of his brother, but their, their rapport in the film is pretty pretty integral to making mm-hmm. it work. So I, re- I definitely recommend The Disaster Arts, but even if yeah. you don't know anything about The Room, oh, yeah. you'll get like, a lot it does, out of it. Like you said, it, it tickles the bone, the funny bones of the people that enjoyed The Room. Like there's it, there's something from them. And there's people like who have never seen it. This is a great story on its own that you know you can experience. I definitely think it's for everybody. Yeah, I think in a way Disaster Artist makes The Room worth seeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I don't know that I would really see So, and that's why I'm going to go around and see what everyone thinks before we move on to our next movie. It's like, the Room recommended or not. I'm saying watch the... I, I Maybe even watch The Disaster Artist first. like, And then watch The Room. Because to me, I and maybe because I did it that way, I got more value out of The Room having seen The Disaster Artist. And I don't know if it would have been the other way around. Like I could see that, yeah. So I'm going to say you, you kind of need to see it. Specifically if you are someone who does enjoy a bad movie from time to time. I think that may actually be the way to watch it, honestly, is Disaster Artist and then watch The Room. I'd also be worried that if you watch The Room, you might not want to go see The Disaster yeah. Artist. And that would, that would be that would be sad. <laughs> yeah. Seth? I, I would recommend it only for people, at least like you said, if, if you if you watch The Disaster Artist and you want to see like where that came from, by all means, go ahead and check it out. But I'm not going to re- recommend anybody if, – if you don't have any kind of interest in bad movies or just seeing kind of like a train wreck on film, I'm not going to recommend it to it. But if you enjoy that kind of type of film, I think you might get something out of it or just I, – I think it's one of those things you, you want to watch it with a group of people with a lot of drinks as well too. I think it's going to be a lot more fun that way. Hey, that's a good point. Take a drink every time Tommy <laughs> Tommy fluffs his hair over his shoulder. You'll be dead in forty minutes. <laughs> uh, and oh my goodness, the last scene of the movie, amazing of the room. <laughs> I mean, it like, was that was like oh my, so special. Yeah, <laughs> like I'd like to hear what actual surrealist, like surrealist filmmakers, people like David Lynch, like what oh, do they oh, think of when they see something like That is an awesome like idea. This? Like I just want to, I just listened to David Lynch. I mean, I watched a twenty-minute video where he cooked quinoa. Yeah. I would listen to him talk about yeah. what he thought about the room. I actually probably would recommend David Lynch's quinoa video over the room. But moving on, <laughs> this is the part where Chris hijacks the podcast. So no, uh, I'm going to turn this one over to you, buddy, because this is your thing. This is your jam. It is. And I think it, there is value in doing this as a double feature with The Room. I think there are some some crossover. some crossover. Absolutely. Um, so this is um, probably my favorite comedy of all time, uh, just because it's a unique thing. Uh, There's a film that Comedy Central put out called Windy City Heat. They put on TV back in, it uh, looks like 2003. 
so it's been out for a little while. Um, this is one piece of a larger project, if you will. Um, these two comedians, Don Barris, uh, who works at the Comedy Store every night, and also is Jimmy Kimmel's like uh, warm-up guy, um, and this other guy, Walter Malinsky, who is a character played by another guy who also works with Jimmy, um, have been... They found this really unique soul. I'll just put it this way. Uh, a guy named Perry Caravello. Uh, he was trying to be a comedian back in the 90s. Um, you can debate whether or not he was successful in that. Uh, I would say that he was not successful in either being a comedian or a uh, or an actor per se. But this has resulted in one of my favorite uh, movies and projects. But anyway, they got involved with this guy. They're like, this guy is golden. He's crazy. He's got some weird... Just... His voice alone is insane. So describe, if you can, in like a couple words, can you describe Perry as a person? Oh, like he looks like, because <laughs> I'm not sure I could do it. So I'm, I'm just he's got out this like Perry in his prime. He's changed over the years um, because in the in his prime in this movie, he's got this long, scraggly, like greasy hair, this black hair, and he wears a fedora. And all this kind of stuff. And he's and a got a, jacket, right? a leather jacket and a fanny pack. And that's like his look. <laughs> and he compares himself, his look, to that of Marlon Brando in The Wild One. Like he really believes he looks like Because he, he, he sees himself as an Italian tough guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but he has such a unique voice. Uh, he does kind of rip off of Sam Kinison a lot with his screaming at, uh, in his comedy. So like, like He literally repeats he, that. Yeah, scream. He'll, he'll scream, oh, 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 and stuff like that. But he's got such a shrill kind of voice. When he gets super excited, this is the unique element of it. Perry, he's just, his energy comes out and he just starts screaming if he gets upset about anything. So immediately Don is like, I got to work with this guy and do something. So this this talent he has of just being so weird and like screaming so I has such high energy is perfect for me because Don does some kind of weirder alternative comedy, I guess, in a way. So he runs a show called The Ding Dong Show and they just have unique characters every week come up and kind of it's like a weird reality show. Um, you went so, to see it, didn't you? I did, yeah. I went to L.A. just to see that specifically. And, um, yeah, it was just a fantastic thing. Um, but Perry kind of started in the Ding Dong show. And um, basically this show is just these people get around it. They'll just talk about basic different topics. There's not a lot of comedy intentionally put into it. The comedy you get out of it is the reactions from all the characters. It's just like a venue for them to reveal their eccentricities. It's like kind when, of, yeah. when you kind of showed it to me, I was like... They're just kind of letting these people be themselves without the filter. Essentially, yeah. Uh, so Perry, obviously, Don has an obsession with unique individuals. So uh, they've been working with Perry for like ten years, and they keep telling Perry, "We're going to get you in a movie. We're going to get you in a movie." Finally, they get him into a movie called it's like Perry Windy City Heat. It's going to be about a sports memorabilia PI. He's going to track down sports memorabilia all across Chicago. And get it back to uh, you know their respective owners. And I was like, that sounds kind of random and silly. What's his name? He's like, oh, it's uh, you're gonna be Stone Fury. So like, so he's playing a character, Stone Fury, a sports detective. Um, and uh, so he's like, this is great. You know, he thinks he's gonna be this hard living, hard nosed detective character. He's gonna be an action movie. So basically, the premise of Windy City Heat is Don and Mole are gonna be messing with Perry the entire time. The real movie is the behind-the-scenes footage of them screwing with him. And just, like, Perry is so obsessed with being this, like, major star, major actor, and just getting upset at every little thing that it just makes him fly off the handle, that it just becomes an amazing, like... But seemingly buying into the fantasy they're selling him, seemingly. he believes himself to be... This is the thing. Uh, I say it's, like, a project... They've been doing it for over 25 years now with Perry. <laughs> at this point in the, in the movie, they've been working with him for like 10 years by the time they made Windy City Heat. They made, after years after that, um, in 2010, they started doing a podcast for a good five years. So there's like 150 podcast episodes. And it was just more of peeling back the layers of what Perry is and who he is. And it's just fascinating. It's like a Truman show that never ends. <laughs> it's, yeah. It really is amazing. Like, even today... Having listened to all these podcasts, that's where I started the podcast. I will hear something new. They'll have a new podcast out, and they'll reveal another element of Perry I didn't know before, and I'll just blow my mind in perspective of who this guy is. It's it's incredible. Like you, 
and others like you. You're the guy in the bathtub in the Truman Show watching to exactly see. Exactly right. I hate to admit it, but it's what true. Is, what does Truman eat for breakfast? Oh, my goodness. Like I said, there was that one uh, one time we were all obsessed. There was a there was a thread in the fan club about what is in Perry's house. Like, there was this bucket on this table. Someone had taken a picture several years ago, and there was this bucket on the table. And then a couple years later, someone took another picture. It was still there. It's like a popcorn bucket or it something. It was a popcorn bucket just yeah. sitting in the middle of the table. They're like, I guarantee you that thing's empty. So there was a whole thread of people like going, what is in the bucket? What is in the bucket? Until finally someone gets in contact with Perry and says, oh, it's popcorn. I just keep refilling it with more popcorn from the store. But like, just stuff like that is just crazy. It seems dubious. I, I don't know. I guess I'm way too far into this thing. No, now, I mean, but... it seems dubious that he's actually refilling it with more popcorn. Yeah. yeah. It's a human head. It's just, he's not just eating popcorn from 2003. So, yeah, that gives you an idea that that's been going on for a long time. So, uh, and will hopefully continue for a long time. But the movie itself, it's basically one big behind the scenes prank on Perry with different like sets and things. And a director. Yes, Bobcat Goldthwait directs the movie. Uh, and he, he, he directs the movie, and he directs the movie inside of the movie. That's right. Yeah. So, and he, uh, oddly enough, always has to speak. He has to tell Perry early on. He always has to talk through a speaker because if he doesn't, he forgets to do it while he's directing. He's got the big, so the old the style old... director megaphone yeah. that, like you would expect Cecil B. DeMille holding. In fact, he kind of like channels DeMille through most of the movie, even though they're just making this piece of crap action <laughs> yes. movie. I mean, there's some amazing, uh, amazing things in here. One of my personal favorite scenes is they sit Perry down and. Like Perry, look at uh, we're gonna show you all the like merchandising, and so they come up with like <laughs> cheap purple fedoras that look nothing like Perry's, and he's like, I'm gonna fight for this type of brim, specifically this kind of hat, no other hat, you know. And <laughs> so they show him this hat, and then, like all of a sudden he's just overjoyed that there's something he's gonna make money off of, you know. He's like, and then they show him like you know, here's the poster of the movie. It's the two guys, you know, Don and Mole on either side is their thug characters in the movie and you see Perry and both of those guys look fine on the poster but then Perry's this huge fat guy holding a giant like slurpee or something <laughs> with like a big gut hanging out of the t-shirt it's just one like taking the taking the wind out of his sails My- but always building him back up like to like yes they do take the wind out of his sails but they're like Perry if you do this right you could be a major star and they're not wrong. Oh, it's, it's kind I mean, of sick and twisted because it's like it it feeds his fantasy. The scene when they get when they show him the action figures is probably yeah, one of like the best. best. Don's looks fine, Moles is fine, and Perry's and like in t- anticipation, and the guy shows it to Perry and Nathan. What did you see? It 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 looks like they melted down. Like the Undertaker from wrestling, like it's like one of those things that just melted it up. It looks horrible. It doesn't. It looks like Freddy Krueger. It doesn't remotely the look big like fat him. melted in face. A three year old trying to paint a toy. Like it's just blashes. And then, but when then they switch to his face, and you see all these different emotions, yeah, flying across Flash. of it. And then the ultimate one just turns into childlike wonder. And joy, and that's when it's like my heart's a little bit. I'm like, oh man! I mean, I just got like they present him in a light, and he seems to just be who he is, and that's not always. It, it doesn't always sit well with me. So I'm like, some they show you enough that sometimes you're sort of like, you're kind of a jerk, Perry. Like maybe he you can, you know, like in in the in the course of the film, and then they'll do something to him, and he becomes the patsy again, and it's it goes back and forth. I'll give you... It's a weird experience. It's a weird thing yeah. to watch. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. it's different to me than The Room in the sense of, like, The Room has always come from this place of, this is a bad movie. This thing's supposed to be a documentary. I say supposed because there's a part of me that just can't believe where this movie goes and that he is... That Perry is as gullible and as just completely blindsided by his own... That, that's it. It's his own. That's his thing. Like if he took a second to pull his head up above the sand and say, "Like, look around, say, you know, something, something about this seems fishy," but he can't do that. Like his psychology is such is that he just he has to believe this is real. He has to believe that he's a star. Like that's his whole persona. It's amazing. That's definitely the one thing that really struck me when I watched it the first time too. Is and I mean this this movie is really funny. You will get a lot of laughs out of it. I, I was cracking up the whole time. Um, but I, halfway through watching it, I was like, 
I wonder if this is just like a put on, if this is like fake, because there's so much stuff that happens in this movie where like no normal person would ever like they get to that point where you're just like, OK, I know that there's a joke being played on me. But then I got to that point where I was like, well, if he is, if this is just all an act, then this guy deserves an Oscar because he's the greatest com- comedic actor of all time. That's right. Like, if if And maybe I mean. I will say this for both those guys. Like, if this is orchestrated, we're talking about it right now. Other people are talking about he's got a phone. He has people who actually want to know what's in the popcorn bucket on his table. Tommy Wiseau <laughs> so, has a movie in theaters right now where James Franco wrote and directed a film where he gets to play him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> these guys have it. They well, figured I, it out to some degree, but... Perry has, uh, ultimately, and it's been said a lot before... Uh, but Perry really just wants the attention, honestly. I mean, he wants the money, he wants the fame, but he wants the attention of people. And that's what he got. He didn't, they haven't really shortchanged him at all. Like, he's, Perry has achieved his goals in a way. Well, I will say this he is committed because, yeah. and maybe should be, uh, <laughs> because I, you know, as Seth said, and I just saw recently, you told me for years and finally broke yeah. me down. I'm like, okay, Chris. Now, I would like to your... point out, we had four people who had never seen this movie and all of them were laughing. Including my wife who normally balks at a movie that seemingly, like, is poking fun at someone. You know, like, yeah. she, her kind of, that's her threshold is, like, if I think someone's actually being, like, legitimately mocked, I'll back off. But yeah. she, she was laughing. I mean, I think it's because the comedy goes so many surreal places. And particularly oh, yeah. for something that's seemingly true. Because... I think what we really haven't yet mentioned is the kind of things that Don and this other guy do to Perry are, it's hard to see them as mean-spirited because they're so over the top. So They're wild, the kind yeah, yeah. of, they're so, they're so out there. They're almost vaudevillian. Like, they're at the <laughs> level of, like, Three Stooges pranks. Like the table? Yeah. The table. Like, there's a moment where they have the Japanese investor coming in and they have ladled this table, laden this table down with all of these donuts and snacks yeah. and food and <laughs> sushi, as much foods. kind of stuff as you could cram on a table, and they say, uh, the investor's coming soon, they're going to love all this stuff, <laughs> I just need you, Perry, who is supposed to be, mind you, the star of this movie yeah. that they're coming to invest in, but no, he doesn't get to go out and talk to the investors, they ask him to guard the snack table. <laughs> Yeah, they're like you got to stay here and guard the snack table, and he just cheerfully agrees to do it. He's like, <laughs> sure. And then you know, it's not. I don't think I'm spoiling the film here, but some guy comes around and just bumblingly and and obviously is like jumping around near the table, yeah. getting Perry's attention. Perry realizes he's going to knock the table on, and he basically just flings his entire body onto this table, which in such a way that makes every single snack food on that table cascade into the floor. And then he just runs off, leaving Perry just screaming into the sky. He runs up, he says... Perry knocked over the same yeah. huge Japanese guy walking around the corner, like shaking his head in disgust. And Perry sitting there, just like fuming and screaming, yeah. and but it looks genuine. I mean, yeah. he looks ticked off. It looks like Perry was going to have a fight. With they have that. a guy who's constantly coming up to offer him fruit and water yeah. over and oh over God, again. Yeah, that's so funny. And, <laughs> and yet his 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 personality, which seems a little in the shallows, like keeps coming forward and. They have a lot of cameos in this, and he doesn't. Yeah. Then they have fake cameos where they yeah. tell him that's Charlton Heston in there, who, who yeah. by the point of the film has been dead for like two years, and uh, he's like, he, they tell him he's in the thing, and he's like, is that really Charlton Heston? And yet he professes to be this guy who studied actors and who knows actors and loves films, and yet the most basic knowledge don't don't like three dead presidents call him on the phone they keep telling him John like, Quincy yeah, like yes. the producer. <laughs> they just keep throwing stuff at him. And it's so out there. The end of his first audition is great too, where Don and the other guy come up and, and Mole come up, and they're just basically they're behaving as if they're the friends that are so excited he got the part, but they're basically just mauling him, jumping, on, jumping him on, and on top of him. And he's like, sitting on top he's of him. like, guys, guys, get off of me! And it's and there is. There is this amazing scene towards the end of the movie where they're actually going to go see the premiere of the the the, uh, the movie that they've been making this whole time, and they have to get there at a specific time to make like the premiere of the show and like everything that could possibly go wrong to like keep them from getting there on time did. And I was like, I was legitimately like almost crying. I was laughing so hard at some of the crazy stuff that was happening when he was trying to get to the theater. That particular scene, and I don't. I mean. I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was funny. But that particular scene is kind of like a masterpiece of yes, surrealism. Yeah. 
Be- I don't think they could have known how it would go down, but watching that, almost more than anything I've ever seen, and I watched all of Twin Peaks The Return, and we'll do <laughs> yeah. so again, uh, but up there with a David Lynch movie, that scene feels like a dream. I've had those yeah. dreams yes. where I've got to get somewhere. It's massively important, and yet the night just it keeps just, going yeah. on and on and on, and yet... In your head when it's happening, you're like, I'm dreaming this. This isn't this guy's living it. He's in this thing. They're in this limo and they find the most ludicrous reasons not and then hours have gone by. Technically the movie should be over and they're still driving around. It's like it's like two and a half hours after the so called premiere, and yet they still somehow roll up just in time to see the movie. And they stop at like a seven eleven or something yeah. at like a convenience store and like they start dancing with the guys like daughters and he's never questioned it. He's so deep down the rabbit hole at this point. That scene's amazing. I, it isn't it? It's like it's so crazy. I I was skeptical. I'm like, maybe you really have to be into this, but like this is a cult movie. I can see why it has fans and I feel yeah. that it's gotten those fans. It came at a time too when Comedy Central was, let's face it, not not like they had just kind of come off of like that small period of time and they had some mm-hmm. really interesting stuff and they had transitioned out of playing PCU a right. hundred times a day on Comedy Central. I don't know how times I've seen PCU, which I've never would have watched oh, voluntarily. I know, me too. <laughs> it was like they played that in airheads over and over and over again. Yes. But that point in time, and again, I didn't see that point in time, but like that was something that really was trying to be a little bit like subversive, I feel like. Bobcat's yeah. going on to make plenty of subversive movies. <laughs> I was I was gonna say yeah it's it was one of those things, like Bobcat like I, I really enjoy like this, most of the stuff that he's put out since then but this is just something like on a on a completely different level and, and like you were saying you know this Comedy Central they, they have some of their stuff that's that's been really great some of it not so much so but you know this is one of those things like I had not heard of it until Chris had brought it up you know and, which is surprising to me because I'm such a huge comedy fan. Uh, so this was like such a treat to like get to experience, you know, even after all these years that it's come out like this, it really does hold up. And if you're into this kind of stuff, I, I think a lot of people will get a, a ton of enjoyment out of this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love watching it with new people that hadn't seen it before. It is fun in that regard. We watch it. Um, that's why Jason Coupler has been on the podcast a couple of times. He's going to be on again in, in December. But he and his wife were here and like I thought he was gonna die of a wheezing fit like yeah. halfway through this movie and it was just it is a fun fun movie to watch and actually the two movies I here I'll say it for you Chris Windy City Heat is superior wow. to the room um, right. I don't know how much that really gave you there but uh, <laughs> it makes me feel good um, um, it's a it's a fun experience and, and and this movie has got such a, a crazy rabid fan base like they're not yet completed with it. But there is actually a film cut of, or a fan cut of this movie where people are recreate every single scene. Oh, my friend, not just people. <laughs> I unfortunately am on the internet somewhere. <laughs> In a bald way. I wonder, can we yeah. put that on the YouTube channel? Um, Quite possibly. Yeah, the end of Baldwig and <laughs> and you are in another funny scene in the movie where they bring in Perry's stunt double. And I, I only had I like one. getting of, a shirt two sizes too small specifically to make it like really grow. I just remember I had to walk next to you holding a roll of toilet paper. That was my big scene. <laughs> um, and I had toilet paper shoved down in my shirt. Yes. And, uh, it was like the middle of the summer we were shooting it and that was... Um, that was good times. I believe hey, was there. Hey, I paid you guys a beer pizza, so... <laughs> it was worth it just for the experience alone. I had a good time. It was funny. He also follows us on Twitter. I looked at... I mean, I don't know how much that means because I looked... Do not follow Perry on Twitter. I will say this. Unless you really don't care what comes up on your Twitter feed because a lot of it is not safe for work. When I started to see that, that's when I started to come around to the idea that most of what we see in that film Perry. is genuine. So, yeah, final verdict for me... It's a fun movie. There is, a, there is, I guess the thing that also is fascinating to me is the fan base for Windy City Heat is strange. Like it is this is the closest thing I can. I mean, I guess all of reality television is like the Truman Show, but this, in some ways, this is weirder. And I, don't, I mean, because because you've got that added layer that you see the people sort of mocking him or having, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like candid camera, but it lasts for like this guy's whole life. Right. Like, I don't think everyone really is Mocky Perry. I think some people do, but I think some people actually kind of enjoy 
his work. Like, I, yeah. in a way. Like, and, and I get that. And I know that. And for him, that might be up. But it's just, we, like, I would feel devastated if I found that out. But I also wouldn't get that far down the rabbit hole. You know, like, yeah. I, and, and for him, it's like, it's the realization of a dream. Like, they're making his dreams come true at the same time that he's the <laughs> butt of their jokes. I don't really know how to reconcile those two things. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love it, but uh, one last thing I'll say about uh, Windy City. Um, like I said, this is a project that's gone on for quite some time. If you if you enjoyed Windy City Heat and you like the kind of goofiness and stuff, and of course Perry's crazy high energy screams, um, you should definitely listen to the Big Three podcast or the work of Sam Kinison or the work of Sam Kinison. <laughs> that's fair. He definitely stole from Sam. Um, but, but funny the enough. Big, the Big Three Podcast, uh, same guys doing it, uh, just having more fun audio uh, pranks on Perry and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's a, it was is a blast. It really got me into the project anyway to begin with, so um, give that a, a listen if you like. And it's funny, too, because back in the day when Sam Kennison was still around, the guy that he was always mad at and who always he, he directly uh, accused of stealing a shtick was Bobcat Goldway. <laughs> and he'd constantly have fights on oh, Stern, yeah. on Howard Stern over this. I did see he'd Bobcat. Running uh, him down and stuff. I did see Bobcat at Magoobie's like last year. And uh, I ran into him and I asked him, like, what was it like working with Perry on Windy City? He, he's like, it never ends. Perry to this day will call me up, ask him when the next project is and stuff. Right, we saw him. Um, <laughs> We went to see a screening of Willow Creek at yeah. Maryland Film Festival, the movie made about Bigfoot. He was talking about, I made lots of movies about strange, misunderstood characters. He was like, <laughs> Perry Caravello, Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a good time. He's a fun guy, Bob Yeah, Cat he's a is. nice dude. Um, but, so, it's, I think this would make a fun double, double feature. feature yeah. um, neither one of them I mean that goes without saying neither one of these movies should be viewed in near anywhere near in front of children no, uh, no these are these are R-rated films <laughs> yes. um, there's, I will also point that out about the podcast that I was talking about yeah I mean it's these, also the same it's the adult you know um, but it's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's an entertainment intended for adults yes uh, quote unquote Tom Cruise cameo <laughs> yeah uh, the dumpster scene is priceless oh, too I could just sit here and just talk about scenes yeah uh, Dane was it uh uh, he was in it too, but he had a cameo. But I was thinking uh, the one with uh, the guy comes out looking like Perry. Uh, yeah, having gone into the audition at the very beginning, I'm not sure. Well, listening. it's funny because uh, Carson Daly, right? Carson yeah. Daly, a name yeah. that everyone would have known in 2003, but now he comes who's out that guy's name fedora. again. He's like walking out of the audition wearing a fedora and a leather jacket. There are, there are a lot of interesting moments. So I'll put some links to. The big three podcast. It's still going or it's finished? Uh, it's kind of finished now. But they have yeah. other things going uh, on. Definitely, right? yeah. yeah. And I find the link to the YouTube. Yes. I went I went back and watched that over the summer around the time that Ivy Lee passed away to watch it again. And it was, um, it's still it's still magic. Ivy Lee stars in it. She did. Yeah. That's why. She, she's, is she the one that holds the toilet paper? She's playing Burt Ward. Right. That's over right. The, the pizza in the corner. Yeah. Damn. Thanks, Chris. That's when you know you're dedicated friends. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was fun times though. So and then the whole cuts together, right? It's online. Uh, to the sort extent of, that it's to the done, extent that it's, it's like two thirds done, and the first two thirds are up, and you can watch them. All right, so we will we'll get all that up, and I think that's about it, guys. Any last thoughts, Seth? Nope, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's your moment. Milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job with it. I'm, yeah. I'm passionate about it. All right. Um, so that is Windy City Heat. Yes. And if for some reason you're like, who were, why'd you recommend me watch these creeps? <laughs> and with that, we're out. <laughs> Don't have, play much. Have a good it's night. It's a free podcast, folks. <laughs> <laughs> See you, everybody.